right, everybody, welcome to episode number 83 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, how you doing? You know when you think you've changed into a new season? Yes. But then, but then it goes back to the, the last season? What are you getting at? <laughs> it's fucking freezing outside. <laughs> Dude, I am out, out here at the BTCRF, and uh, with the cost of electric and oil these days, I am not putting the heat on in this place at gunpoint. So it is frigid as could be. Dude, seriously, the electric bills and gas and everything? I mean, how do you live? Chris, please, we're building back better. Now, listen, bud. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, let's not get into politics, that, Chris, bro. please, bud, please. But nonetheless, Chris, here we are, episode number 83, bud, 17 shy of 100. Can you believe it? We are closing in on episode 100. And I, we were just talking about now that we're, we're past two years. Yeah, we're, we're going to probably get there. I mean, both of our schedules are starting to get a little bit busier, so... I mean, we'll probably be back at a bi-weekly schedule, but uh, we'll try to keep uh, up with the weekly schedule as much as possible. But uh, as the spring and summer hit, our schedules get a little crazier, so uh, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I'm hoping that we hit episode number 100 before the end of the year. I should hope so, unless (laughs) things really fall off, which, let's be honest, they very well could. Yes, they absolutely could, Chris. But with all that said, plus the raising gas prices, we must stay close to home. And that's exactly what we decided to do tonight, bud. Tonight, we are staying here right in the great state of New York. Absolutely, we are. Not just New York, but the greatest city in the world, some would say. Not if you ask me, but New York City. (laughs) Yes, bro. Yes, uh, Chris, unfortunately, the city seems to be going back to a time that uh, we're going to be talking about tonight. So enough with all the negativity from you, Chris. What do you say we get right into tonight's episode? So let's hop on this Metro North train and head into New York City and get started. Chris, uh, please step on the train. Okay, I guess I'll play along. Chris, step on the fucking train and let's go. Where's your mask? Oh, <laughs> All right, buddy, no, don't you don't you do it? So here we are, Chris, back in the greatest city in the world, New York City. More specifically, bud, we are in Harlem, in Upper Manhattan, and even more specifically than that, Chris, just like Brian Adams said, we're going back to the summer of '89. I. I believe that was the summer of 69. Right you are, little pal. But uh, in all seriousness, tonight's case is very tragic indeed. We're going to be discussing the disappearance of not one, but two small children who disappeared within three months of each other. And not only that, they lived in the same apartment complex. They were playing at the same park. And get this, Chris, they disappeared on the same day of the week and at the same time of the day, just three months apart. Tonight, Chris, we are going to be discussing the tragic disappearances of 
Christopher Dansby and Shane Anthony Walker. So Chris, before we get into everything, I think we should probably describe what New York was like in the 80s. So New York in the 1980s was a pretty rough place. At the time, you had the uh, crack epidemic going on. There was a ton of crime throughout the city, and it was just all in all a very dangerous place to live. And as I said before, Chris, this story takes place in Harlem, which is in Upper Manhattan. And I grew up roughly about 10 miles from there in Yonkers. So I'm fairly familiar with the area and more specifically the area in that time frame. And, you know, even now as an adult, I look back on it fondly. But you have a tendency to uh, look through uh, rose-colored glasses when you have uh, these uh, feelings of nostalgia. And... I, I think that uh, kids and adults that grew up in the time period, sometimes we forget just how dangerous this area was at the time. So that's just kind of the backdrop to what was going on in New York at the time. Now, as I said, both of these disappearances, while happening three months apart, did take place in the same housing complex, and more specifically, in the exact same park. I guess the best way to go about it, Chris, would be for us to break down each disappearance one by one. So let's start off with Christopher Dansby and uh, get into his case first. And then from there, we could talk about Shane Walker and see if we could draw any parallels between the two cases. So uh, Chris, Christopher Dansby, what do you got for us? On May 18th of 1989, two-year-old Christopher Dansby went with his mother, Allison, to the Martin Luther King Jr. Towers Playground, which is located at 113th Street and Lenox Avenue in Harlem. At one point while at the park, Allison had decided to go to the store to buy some food. She was there with uh, some of her relatives, more specifically her mother, and decided to have her mother watch Christopher while she went to the store. Upon leaving the store and returning about a half hour later, Christopher was gone. And the interesting thing here is, is obviously with the relatives being there watching him, they say they last saw him playing around with a red ball. However, oddly, he had not brought a red ball uh, there with him. So either something he picked up or something somebody gave to him. So at this point, a search ensues. They start questioning some of the witnesses, including a seven-year-old boy who uh, was from his neighborhood and actually saw him walking on West 111th Street later that day. He was apparently accompanied by an unknown black male, and after that sighting, he was never seen again. And, and you know, people like to blame the parents, like, how do you not keep an eye on your child or, you know, whatever relative may be watching the kid? But in an area like that, there is so much going on. First off, you're in the MLK Towers, and I believe they actually have 10 buildings each building has 14 stories. So within each building, you have thousands of residents, right? So in the middle of this complex, they have various playgrounds. They're, they're all fenced in for the most part. And, you know, it's just as a way as any park is to keep children from disappearing. But the point is that there's just so many people in these complexes. They're like cities in and of themselves. It's like a co-op city in the Bronx. There's just no way that you're going to know everybody. And even more importantly than that, there's always going to be an overabundance of people around everywhere, you know, especially in any urban area. So these parks are going to be filled with kids, adults, what have you, especially as the weather gets warmer, more people are going to be out. And in addition to that, you know, you're right in Manhattan. So you have the hustle and bustle going on in the streets 
cars going by, deliveries being made. So there's all sorts of shit going on. And it, it was so easy just to get distracted and take your eyes off of a child for a second. And unfortunately, that's all it takes. It takes one second for a kid to disappear and be gone forever, as we see in this case, and as we're going to see in the case of uh, Shane Walker as well. That just needs to be mentioned, I think, when people try to put blame on the parents or come up with different theories. And there is no shortage of theories and speculation when it comes to this case and the case of Shane Walker as well. So as you said, there was a a seven-year-old kid who had known Christopher. He said that he saw Christopher in a company of a black male with braids on 111th Street later that day, on the same day. But also there was uh, eyewitness accounts that Christopher was seen playing with two children just before his disappearance. And those children were somewhat older than him. Apparently there was a 10-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. Now, okay, kids play with each other and they meet each other in the park all the time. They play around, no big deal. But now the weird thing here, Chris, and I want you to remember this, the 10-year-old girl and the five-year-old boy who Christopher was playing with, they later reemerge in a very bizarre way when we start discussing the disappearance of Shane Walker. Unsolved Mysteries actually did an episode covering these two cases. The new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix sucks. It's absolutely awful. But uh, this was actually one of the good cases that they did. And it was fairly insightful. So it opens up with Allison Dansby talking about that fateful day on May 18th of 1989 and uh, describing how she felt when she found out that Christopher went missing. And there is nothing more heartbreaking than listening to a distraught parent talk about their missing child and how helpless and defenseless they feel. And it's just completely heartbreaking. And you, you know, you just feel such empathy for the parents. In addition to uh, the interview with Allison on this Unsolved Mysteries episode, They also interview one of the New York City uh, detectives there at the time, a gentleman by the name of Ken Lindahl. And this guy talks about the efforts that the police took right from the start. I mean, they went right after this. He's like, you know, whenever there is a missing kids case, uh, suspected kidnapping and whatnot, it's all hands on deck. He shut down everything and uh, they create a radius. And in this case, it was a 24 block radius to see if they could find Christopher Dansby. They went so far, Chris, as to even search the waters of the lakes in Central Park. And they came up with absolutely nothing. Like I said, you know, we're in a crowded area. We're in Harlem. It's the middle of May and, and it's in the early evening. I mean, there are people everywhere. So someone takes Christopher onto the street, move them a block away, you know, switch cars and whatnot. It's so easy to escape. By the time the police get there and they they block off the area, Christopher could have been long gone at this point. And it's just so easy with the dense population to blend in and just to never be seen or heard from again. And unfortunately, everything played out perfectly for the perpetrator because we come to find out to this day, Christopher has still never been found. Now, with all that said, though, the police never gave up. They did their due diligence. They conducted search after search, and they conducted interview after interview. And as a matter of fact, they interviewed uh, the seven-year-old kid who said that he saw Christopher that day walking on 111th Street. And they also interviewed a number of other eyewitnesses who saw Christopher playing in the park that day, 
all leading to dead ends. And we come to find out that even Allison was given a polygraph test by the NYPD to uh, investigate her involvement. And she claims that she passed the polygraph while the police say that uh, the results were inconclusive. And upon the uh, completion of the investigation, the NYPD came up with zero suspects. So, I mean, you can look at this either way. Was it a crime of opportunity? Were those kids that Christopher was seen playing with, were they sort of bait, like a lure to lure him to someone else? Was the mom involved? Could this have been an issue of a custody battle with dad? You know, they they looked at all those avenues and each one led to a dead end. And, you know, all I could say is just judging by all the interviews I've seen with Allison, um, she in no way, shape or form had anything to do with this. And as of today, you know, she's a grandmother because she had an older son at the time, uh, LaVon, who was one year older than Chris. And uh, she's now a grandmother. And she just talks about having to still be a parent for your child that's still with you rather than just putting all your focus on the missing child as you know you could imagine that, that would happen to you you know you could just get blinders on trying to find your missing child and then inadvertently neglect your older child but she talks about all these things and it is just absolutely heartbreaking and those wounds you could see in her face they're just still fresh so there's really no getting over that but Chris, we got to go back to 1989 because this story is not over. Because as we said, another tragic disappearance involving a toddler takes place. Bud, what do you got for us on Shane Walker? So on August 10th of the same year, a one-year-old Shane Walker went with his mother to the very same park at the MLK Jr. Towers Playground, 113th and Lenox Avenue. While she was sitting on a bench, a 10-year-old girl and a 5-year-old brother came up to them and asked if they could play with Shane. Now, for me right there, that kind of would raise a little bit of a flag. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And Shane's mom, Rosa Glover, actually alludes to that same thing on the Unsolved Mysteries episode. She's like, what would a 10-year-old girl and a 5-year-old boy want to do with playing with uh, a 1-year-old? And she was a little bit hesitant, as I would be. I'd like, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. But she's there at the park, so she figured, all right, let them play. You know, maybe they just want to run around together and whatnot. Kids do this at the park. So uh, against her better judgment, she let him go play. But then, Chris, something very odd happens. What happens next? Apparently, as suspicious as that was, things actually get even a little crazier because... After she agrees to let them play with the two children on a slide, a black man approaches her and starts to talk to her about crimes and kidnapping and how, quote-unquote, things happen to children. And so she was briefly distracted by this man talking to him, and then upon looking back at the playground, Shane and the two other children were gone. And so now Rosa, looking for Shane, a few moments later sees the two other children re-enter the park through this hole in the fence, and they tell Rosa that they had left Shane there. What? You wanted to play with this kid so bad, but then suddenly you had to split and just leave him there? Like Rosa says, you know, 
she's suspicious right away, as I would be. But then you got some freak come up to you and start talking to you about how it's dangerous and, oh, there was just a disappearance a few months ago of a kid and kids go missing. But either way, it's like, back the fuck up, man. Nobody wants to hear that. Like, if I'm a parent, if I'm Rosa sitting there and I'm trying to keep an eye on my kid, I don't need some whack job coming up to me and saying... Oh, well, you know, this kid disappeared here and kids go missing all the time. And Like, back up. A very odd thing to say, and the creepy part about this whole thing is that this 10-year-old girl and her 5-year-old brother, as you mentioned before, were also in the park when Christopher Dansby went missing. Now, this appears to be some sort of a, a bait game where these two children are almost used to play with the child, and then suddenly the, the child goes missing. So they are a part of some elaborate scheme, it, it would seem, at least at this point. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And looking at it from the outside, there's tons of people who theorize that exact same thing, that these kids were definitely involved. And Rosa believed it so much that she actually gave a description of the children and had the police go look for them. And the police actually did their due diligence. They brought the kids in for questioning uh, along with their parents. They were all cleared. The uh, investigator that uh, I mentioned before, Ken Liddell, said that they exhausted every um, avenue looking into these kids and there was nothing that they could find that led them to believe that these children were involved. And he said that they uh, concluded the same thing with that gentleman that sat next to Rosa who was talking uh, about all that weird shit. I'm looking at this. I don't care what the police say or what their investigation says. You're telling me we're dealing with disappearance of two little kids, roughly the same age. You got a two-year-old and a one-year-old. They live in the same apartment complex. This takes place at the same park at roughly the same time of day. I think one disappearance was at five and the other disappearance was around seven. Same time of day, same time of year. And get this, Chris. It was even the same day. Both of these, I'm going to say kidnappings, happened on a Thursday evening. And in addition to that, that 10-year-old girl and that 5-year-old boy were both seen at the park at the time of each disappearance. I mean, we got to call a spade a spade here. I mean, if you're looking at this and you're drawing all these parallels, and there are many to take away from in this case, I mean, you have to look at those kids And as you said, Chris, you have to look at it as if they were the bait. Distract the kid, get them playing, and maybe as soon as the mom turned their head, take the kid outside the fence, and boom, gone. It it makes you wonder, too, obviously, to what extent you can interrogate children. There's too much of a coincidence here with these two kids going up to her and asking to play with their one-year-old. Not only would they want to go up to this woman and ask if they could play with their, you know, her one-year-old, but then right after that, they they come back through some hole in the fence and leaving this kid behind. That is a prime suspect. And this man who spoke with her is also the prime suspect. And I, I would, honestly, there'd be no one else to even look at it at that at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, they interviewed the kids and then they interrogated their parents as well. And it seems that uh, they were cleared And they they had no reason to hold them or no reason to uh, not believe their stories. The police launch a full-blown investigation. They actually go into Rose's apartment and they tap her phone lines to see what they could find. Maybe it's a ransom situation or 
some domestic uh, issue that they can maybe at least try to get a lead on this and see if they could break through to get any information as to the whereabouts of Shane. We come to find out about three months later, Rosa received a call from an unidentified male saying that he knows for a fact that Shane's body is buried in a crack house on 113th Street, just two blocks away. So the police, upon hearing this, use this information, and they go to the address. Indeed, it is a crack house. It was abandoned. They begin searching through it. They can't find anything. They went so far as to have the entire structure demolished in hopes of finding Shane. But unfortunately, uh, as it is so often the case in, in these types of circumstances, the phone call was nothing but a hoax. So, I mean, there's a special kind of place in hell for a person who does something like that to a grieving parent as well. It's revealed later on in the episode here that Rosa actually moved out of uh, the Martin Luther King Towers and she had never gone back. You know, it was just too difficult for her. There was a newscast, and I I think it was WPIX here in New York. Um, I, I think it's still called PIX. They were actually conducting an interview with Rosa and she finally decided, you know what? I'm going to go back today. Let's go check this out. And they uh, take her to the park at the uh, Martin Luther King Towers. And she just breaks down when she starts talking about it. She's like, you know, if I just didn't bring him to the park this day, if I just didn't turn my head, if I didn't just talk to this guy, if I didn't let him play with those kids, all these things come back. And you you look at it as a parent. What could you have done differently? And you, of course, you're going to blame yourself, even though it's not your fault. This changes your life forever. And you can't help. And this is the worst part. When you start to think about the child's well-being, like what happens to them? Are they scared? It's got to be the most gut-wrenching thing. And I I mean, I've I've never had a child, but I can only imagine. As a parent myself, I know like even when you have those instances where you turn around and you don't see your kid or your kid wasn't where they were a second ago, your heart is in your throat, man. You know, like you immediately go into, into panic mode. The sense of relief once you see them is like no other. Rosa talks about it, and she says in this interview that this can't be happening. How could this be happening to me? This can't be real. But it is. It is happening, and it happened to me. And, I mean, that is just just a, a pill that you just can't swallow. I don't know how to get past that. We see in this episode, dude, that's almost 33 years ago, and the pain in, in these women's faces, the incident might as well have been yesterday. You know, it, it's all they think about, and... It's they're consumed by it. And how could you not be? This is 33 years ago. And these cases are still unsolved to this day. And we learn that there's been no trace of Christopher Dansby or Shane Walker anywhere. They've never found any remains of the boys. So there is the potential that these children are still alive and hopefully well. Let's get into uh, theories, Chris. Uh, What says you, little buddy? What do you think happened? And more importantly, Chris, let me let me throw this at you too. Do you think that the kidnappings and or disappearances were connected? I think they are connected because of the similarity in age. And you have children that are so young that they would be easily manipulated. They're at an age where they can't really describe to anyone who their captor is or that they were kidnapped. And it seems to me that the whole setup situation in the park with those two kids, it's just, it's too coincidental. The time of the day, the same park, this was clearly what what I would imagine to be the same 
group of people or, or whoever did this that are involved um, in staging the, the same little scheme here. So I, I would absolutely say, I mean, I, I don't know what the scheme is. is. Is it a black market thing? Some sort of a, I don't even want to say a pedophile thing. It's too coincidental. They must be linked. There's a couple different theories going on here, you know, where the kids sold into a black market adoption ring or could they have been kidnapped by, you know, someone who couldn't have kids of their own and just saw an opportunity and took either Christopher or Shane on those uh, fateful days. Uh, but I tend to lean towards that being the case more so than a pedophile or a sadistic child killer. Because I do think that we would have found some kind of um, evidence at some point, whether it be bones or DNA, somewhere along the, the way here. But uh, we haven't found anything thus far. And as I said, this has been over three decades. So I, I do get the feeling that they were taken and either sold or taken by the person that they are still with to this day and identify as their parents. With that said, I 100% believe that those kids that were there and the 10-year-old and 5-year-old that we talked about, there's no doubt in my mind they were fucking involved, Chris. No doubt. I, I don't care what the investigations find. You, you just can't tell me that they weren't. I mean, they, the kids have never been identified, so we don't have any leads on them. But Rosa, Shane's mom, is absolutely right. A 10-year-old and 5-year-old, what the fuck do you want with playing with my 1-year-old? It just doesn't add up to me. It just doesn't at all. There are well-known cases where kids are trained to act as, as you said, the bait to lure other children away from certain situations and then eventually lead to a kidnapping and whatnot. You know, we do know that that does happen. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that this wasn't orchestrated because of, like you said, the, the time of the day, it being the same day of the week, same park, and these two kids. This, this was planned ahead of time. They have done this before. You could easily argue that both of these children were taken by the same guy, couple, group, whatever. Absolutely, without a doubt. I, I think that these two cases are, are definitely connected. And, and the fact that no evidence has ever been found, it, it really leads me to believe that, I believe in my heart that both of these boys are still alive. And I, I think they probably don't even realize that their parents that they're living with are not their real biological parents. Now, you know, at the time of these kidnappings in 89, we weren't so far advanced in uh, the DNA technology, Chris. So I'm wondering, you know, sooner or later, if, if one of these kids, if they are alive, if they start having questions of their own and want to know a little bit more about their, their history and their heritage, if they decide to take one of these little uh, DNA tests here, the uh, you know, 23andMe or whatever the hell the other ones are, and find out that their parents are not their parents, and then eventually that goes into a database, and then, boom, the truth all comes out. And I don't know how accurate these age progression photos would be, but, you know, let's just say this story makes its way around enough that they stumble across it and realize, holy shit, that looks just like me, and, and then they start questioning their family and their background. And that's the one good side of <laughs> the modern technology, right? I mean, we, we complain about it a lot, but, you know, it, it does provide a lot of answers. And I think a lot of these cases, and we're starting to see now that uh, a lot of these cases that have been cold for decades 
are starting to get resolved. And I'm really, truly hoping for the families of uh, Christopher Dansby and uh, Shane Walker that they are alive and they do get to be reunited someday. And if it isn't a reunion, hopefully they can still at least get some answers because I don't think there's anything worse than not knowing what happened to your baby. My heart breaks for these people. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. But uh, that's it, Chris. That is the case of Christopher Dansby and Shane Walker. I mean, what a, God, just horrifying, heartbreaking case. Hopefully uh, we get answers sooner than later on this one. But uh, we got to come back next week with uh, something a little bit more lighthearted. I'll do that little UFO case that you uh, had your eye on. Take me to your leader. Oh, God. All right, Chris, it is now probably about 30 below here at the BTCRF, and uh, I've got to get the hell out of here because uh, I'm looking at a couple of my toes on the floor laying lifeless. So uh, with all that said, let me give the rundown and we can get the hell out of here. <clears throat> oh, God. <clears throat> you want to get, oh, there it is. You want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook, uh, Between the Cracks Podcast, or on Instagram, the Between the Cracks Podcast. You can message us anywhere, and we'll get back to you ASAP. If uh, you'd like to become one of our lovely Patreons and uh, help us keep the lights on here, or, or should I say keep the heat on here in the BTCRF, please feel free to click on the link in the show notes and see what we have to offer there. Woo! Now, with all that said, Chris, what do you say where you wish to find, find people out in podcast land the fondest? Oh, a farewell. Well, well, we did, brother. I'll tell you, the first half of that is not going to be fun. Good thing I did it now. The good thing we did it tonight, so.